breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser on Reform This on Blaze TV Podcast Network. It is always great to be with you. Thanks for joining me. If you're looking for a voice of reason, an American Muslim who believes in our country and our Constitution and believes that it is the role of American Muslims to find, to fight back, to fight against political Islam and its ideas that ultimately the root cause of radicalization is theocratic Islam and that we need to separate mosque and state, you've come to the right place. Week to week, you and I breach that divide across the world between the world of reason, freedom, and liberty versus the world of theocracy and political Islam. Always a lot to talk about. And, you know, my philosophy on reform this is that every touch point has within it teaching moments, teaching elements that we can use to begin the tough change of reform, to begin the elements that need to be addressed as Americans, as human beings that believe in universal declaration of human rights. And change starts here. All reform, all politics, all faith is local, as they say. Well, thank you for coming back. I was gone last week and I was traveling in Australia. had a trip planned by uh, two just unbelievable people, uh, Vicki Jansen and Hillary Friedland, that put together an unbelievable trip with just a number of stops through Melbourne for the first week and then Sydney for uh, the second, and uh, got to meet a, a number of fantastic organizations, government leaders, media folks, politicians, and uh, we'll get to that in a moment. My trip, you know, we went... On the with the uh, uh, current news events being about ISIS jihadi brides trying to come back, whether it be to the United States or to Britain or to Australia, we were talking about Ilhan Omar and her anti-Semitism and the dysfunction of the left trying to repudiate her, uh, which they did not do. We also were talking about the sports uh, uh, football player Hakim Al Arabi, who was an Australian that. He thanked his country for getting him out of prison. The Bahrainis put him in prison, as many of these monarchies and autocracies are wont to do, and he thanked them for getting him out after a long struggle of being in jail. He's an Australian citizen that uh, they didn't care about that and put him in jail because he expressed himself against their regime. But that news all became minor as... New Zealand was struck with a horrific, barbaric act of terror on March 16, 2019. Now, I have to tell you, it was just uh, words could not suffice as I struggled for words during my tour. It was just coincidental that I happened to be in Australia, right? in the region there and this white supremacist this terrorist uh, just decided to go in and shoot up two mosques he had 30 minutes to travel between the two mosques and word was he had a third location that he was going to before New Zealand security forces uh, 
apprehended him. He killed 51. There are 36 still in the hospital with 11 reportedly in critical condition. We're still barely a week from the horrific act of terror. Many of the funerals are happening or have already happened. And I have to tell you, as an American Muslim, to my Muslim brothers and sisters, I reach out to you and I say, we are with you. There can be no freedom, no conversation, no breath without feeling free to live in a society where you can express yourself. No matter how critical we may be of one another, no matter how tough sometimes developing unity may be, this is uncivilized. These acts are, are beyond beyond simply violence are just heinous acts of terror upon people bent down worshiping God, trying to get closer to God. I saw some people respond on Twitter and social media criticizing those of us who say thoughts and prayers. My response to ridiculous, idiotic comments like that, which came up from AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, mocked people and said, well, you need to you need to just act, stop enough with the prayers, they're not doing anything. Well, I reminded her this happened in a mosque. These people were praying. And always, whenever we start the greatest challenges that we have, are the beginning point, the first thing we always say and the last thing we always say is to God. Life begins and ends with God. Our actions begin and end with God. These folks that thought they were just having a regular Friday at their place of worship. The first man killed was a 75-year-old gentleman that stood at the door, was known to greet everyone that entered the mosque with assalamu alaikum. He was the first one killed. And I believe his son was there too. These were human beings who were part of the fabric of the New Zealand culture, community, society, country. And yes, we we feel their pain in the United States. Uh, the, the U.S. was struck with a, a similar act of horror against the Jewish community at the synagogue. I believe it was Tree of Life in Pittsburgh, in which I believe 12, 13 were killed and many more injured. An act of terror against any faith, community, is an act of terror against all of us. The New, Ze New Zealand leadership responded with unbelievable character. Their country was beyond mortified and horrified, and they were struggling to stay together. And the, the outpouring of emotion from police services in New Zealand uh, uh, that gave signs of respect to biker gangs that were reportedly now protecting mosques over the next few Fridays. I saw one of the fathers that was there who lost a wife, who lost his wife, say that he didn't feel hate in his heart for the shooter, the terrorist. He didn't feel disgust. He just felt sorry for him. He loved his country. He didn't want to be a victim. That's the kind of character that my faith taught me. And I can tell you that is not the response of many of the grievance groups. Because the question is, do you blame 
the country that protects you for those freedoms? And do you have proportionality in which you respond to these things? And we'll get into some of that, the functional and dysfunctional responses to this act of terror as we have to other acts of terror. And some may try to find what they feel as hypocritical application of ideology or non-ideology, whatever it may be. But this is the lens that I bring you as a Muslim dedicated to fighting against the root cause of radical Islam. Radical Islam is not in a vacuum. It is a byproduct of regimes that run countries of hundreds of millions of people across the planet. A quarter of the world's population is Muslim and the byproducts of Al-Qaeda, ISIS and others is a problem that we need to address. Just as the problem of white supremacism, it's racism, it's hate, it's dehumanization of other races, not based in ideas, but based in simply racial discrimination, need to be addressed. Islam is not a race, it's an idea. That's why part of the beauty of American freedom and democracy was its foundation on the first liberty being religious liberty, was that people were discriminated on their faith community, on their faith beliefs, especially Christians who rejected the Church of England's authority over them legally. And that led to revolutions, that led to pushback against theocracy and a way of law that was set up that ultimately determined that the best system is one that prevents the establishment of religion. And to that Jefferson and Madison talked about their first liberty, their first freedom, be it religious freedom. So, I reject terms like Islamophobia. Why? Not because bigotry against Muslims doesn't exist. That's why I call it anti-Muslim bigotry. Just like you say anti-Semitism. We don't talk about Judeophobia. The term Islamophobia becomes a license to basically enact anti-blasphemy laws for internal discussions about what is and what is not theocratic, what is and what is not Islamic ideas that need reform, need modernization, need a new political science, if you will. It shuts down the conversation. It's the exact tool that's used by the, the Saudi Wahhabi regime, the, the Islamists of Qatar and the Brotherhood, the Islamists of the AKP in Turkey and others to shut down conversation. So I don't talk about Islamophobia. Islam is a religion and it has strains of it that need reform and the way to address that is through the antiseptic of sunlight. The militancy of identity politics like the militancy of the white supremacists that committed the acts of terror against those two mosques. Yes, that also prevents the conversations we need to have. It is horrific that those families needed to live through that as they sat unarmed and worshiping God. Before we move further, I have to identify some of the folks. Time magazine talked about the victims of the New Zealand mosque shootings. The victims. These were human beings, ladies and gentlemen. We might disagree with some of their ideas, some of their politics. But a civilized, democratic, liberal society does not assassinate and mow down its individuals. And the vast, vast, vast majority of New Zealanders did respond with unbelievable heroism, with a rejection of this crazed lunatic that did this, this racist and bigot that decided to annihilate them. New Zealanders came together. They 
out of every horror, our societies, as I remember after 9-11, as I remember after so many things as an American that we've seen attacks here all the way through Fort Hood and on, and then the attacks in Pittsburgh, every time our society is tested by the militants, by the crazed individuals in our community, and the test for freedom is not only about preserving the rule of law and preventing it in the future, but how do we maintain those values that are most cherished by us? And I think that's the debate. And again, I'm going to get to the functional and dysfunctional parts of some of the response to New Zealand in a second. But first, I have to acknowledge there's a humanity behind. These are not just some Muslims at a mosque that were slaughtered. Two mosques. There was Naeem and Talha Rashid, father and son, Naeem 50, Talha 21, were two of nine Pakistanis killed in Friday's mosque attacks, according to a statement released by the Pakistani Foreign Affairs Ministry. Naeem, Rashid's brother, Dr. Khurshid Alam, told CNN that Rashid was an academic who had spent the past seven years living in New Zealand. Rashid was killed while trying to tackle the gunman, according to the Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan, and the Pakistani government plans to recognize his bravery with a posthumous award. Then there's Sohail Shaheed, Sayyid Jahnadad Ali, Sayyid Arib Ahmed, and Mahboub Harun. Among seven other Pakistani nationals killed were these individuals. To their families, as the Pakistani government said, they extend their condolences and others were also named. Ata Elayan. 33, the goalkeeper for New Zealand's national football team, the Futsal Whites, was among the victims of Friday's Christchurch massacre, according to New Zealand Football. My heart goes out to the Futsal community, said New Zealand Football Interim Chief Executive Andrew Pragnell, according to the New Zealand Football. They are a very tight-knit group, and this news of Atta's death will be devastating for all involved in the game. We feel their pain and their grief. Elayan was born in Kuwait, leaves behind his wife Farah and young daughter Aya, according to New Zealand football. Then there's Dawood Nebi. Nebi was killed in the attacks after fleeing Afghanistan more than 40 years ago. He sought asylum in New Zealand with his two sons and had lived in Christchurch since 77. His son, Yemen Nebi, confirmed his death to CNN. Mokad Ibrahim was only three years old when he was killed on Friday. A three-year-old. Three-year-old was killed. He's the youngest known victim of the Christchurch mass shooting. According to the AP, he had been sitting with his father and older brother during the services. When the gunman started shooting, the young child became separated from his family. His brother, Abdi Ibrahim confirmed that the younger Ibrahim had been killed in the attack. The mother continues now to be struggling beyond words. Khalid and Hamza Mustafa, Munir Suleiman, Ahmed Jamal Adin Abdul Ghani, Ashraf Al Morsi, and Ashraf Al Marsri. Four Egyptian nationals were confirmed to be among the victims in Friday's mass shooting by the Egyptian Immigration Ministry. Mahbub Khorkar, Ramiz Vora, Asif Vora, Nsi Abliva, Ozer Kadir, five Indian nationals were also killed in the mass attack. Dilak Abdul Hamid, 
was also among the victims according to the Indonesian ministry. And then there were four Jordanian nationals also killed, Sefadi and others. The Jordanian minister Sefadi also noted others. So I think it's important to note these are human beings. They're New Zealanders, some immigrants, some visiting, some foreign nationals that just happen to either be New Zealanders or happen to be in New Zealand. Our humanity suffers when we don't recognize the equality of all human life. So, what are the responses now, now that we've begun to have the ability to talk about many of the underpinnings. I thought, you know, when I was in Australia, you may have seen some of my comments in which I I just deeply emotionally criticized this accidental senator's name is uh, uh, Anning, who basically made a comment no different than Hamas or the Muslim Brotherhood would make after an act of terror in which he said, basically, uh, this is what happens to invaders. This is what happens to... Uh, individuals that do not adopt their homeland and do not assimilate. He basically blamed the victim. That is not only a supremacist, fascist comment, it is beyond inhuman. It is an excuse for it. I didn't have the words directly, but you can find it yourself. He only had 19 votes. This guy was second place from the senator that should have been elected that was elected but ended up having dual citizenship problems and was removed from the ballot so odds are he won't be re-elected but we're reminded that responses also within our communities are important to anchor us to the reality of how to be human beings and not animals functionally we've seen New Zealanders, again, show heroism with, as I mentioned, the biker gang, solidarity with with recognizing the important place of security and of their places of worship and their places of practice. We're reminded that every faith community that is attacked, regardless of, of identity struggles that we may have, is as if all have been attacked. The functional responses include outpouring of emotions across the planet to New Zealand. I felt it in Australia, their their brothers and sisters in the Commonwealth there. I felt it across social media from the UK to Denmark to, to the Netherlands to the Middle East and across the world. It brings us together, reminds us that the 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 diversity of who we are. The, the not only racial and ethnic and national diversity, but our diversity of ideas. And remember, faiths are ideas. They're simply ideas that some people buy into and others don't. Each of us chooses our own faith. Many of us believe it's under God. But at the end of the day, it's our religious freedom to choose those faiths. Now, Let's talk about some of the dysfunctional responses to New Zealand. What are some of the more absurd? We talked about Senator Anning's response and some of the other neo-Nazi type supremacist responses. 
I, I think free speech is an issue. Some have said we should not mention the name of the killer, and I won't do it out of respect to uh, many who have decided that, especially the fact that this occurred in New Zealand and their government decided they would not name the killer. And people I have very, very high respect for, like Ben Shapiro and others, have also said they will not mention his name. I get that. These people seek notoriety. They seek social media sort of a barbaric legacy of whatever they want to do. And the best response is not to give them that. But I have to admit to you, I'm torn by this. Because those of us, and, and again, the, the be it the left or the right, whatever, whatever political bunker you've crawled into, there are folks now reaching deeply trying to make conclusions out of what happened in order to change what we do in the future and prevent it from happening. So prevention is hard to disagree with. I'm all for prevention. But prevention as a physician, we do research on disease processes, not only in how to treat symptoms, but how to treat the root cause of disease and to look at causation. So if you're going to look at causation as a scientist, then that causation has to be rooted in understanding who and what did what they did to lead to the barbarism that was before the New Zealanders. So you can read his manifesto, you can look at his online footprint, you can look at everything he did, and I think that's part of what we need to learn from. So there's extremes of that, which is the glorification of this individual for a few weeks where his his tweets and his other uh, items get posted everywhere. And I saw uh, uh, much of his writings. And I think it's important to be informed by them because folks will, will do moral equivalencies between political Islamist root cause of militant Islamism to this individual's ideas and what he sought to change. And so free speech, also the government will use it to suppress areas that need discussion. If a supremacist's ideas are related to the radicalization of his theology, would you then outlaw his scripture that others may use in a more moderate way, in a more peaceful, global kind of way? We're having this conversation about Islam as we should about any faith. The suppression of free speech, the suppression of normal discourse in response to, to militancy is always wrong. I'm sorry. I, that is my personal belief. I do not think you can. Now, if there are specific calls for violence with an act called for upon human beings, upon property, with specific commands to do so, that is not free speech. And as has ruled the United States Supreme Court in Brandenburg versus Ohio in a KKK case. But the analysis and discussion of ideas that heinously reject freedom, reject liberty, whatever it might be, if they're not calling for violence directly, we need to understand them so that we can defeat it. I don't believe Mein Kampf should be outlawed. I don't think we, we, I think we need to understand. I mean, so at what point of control do we then recognize that people like Adolf Hitler, who committed probably one of mankind's most heinous acts of terrorism, which was the Holocaust, yet we recognize and we identify Adolf Hitler as one of the most evil humans to have ever lived. Does that glorify him? 
I don't believe we should not publish Mein Kampf. We need to read it to understand it. Neo-Nazism is continuing to resurface and will resurface, as does a lot of fascism. Assad's name, similarly in Syria, we need to understand what he is. Now, obviously, you'll say, well, these are heads of government. They're part of history. Okay. But the idea is when they're viralized, as we see with various imams across the planet that's, that preach anti-Semitism, that preach incitement, that preach demonization and dehumanization of others, of the West, of Israel, by identifying them, posting their name and showing their speech on memory, I think we're, we're doing a service to expose what we Muslims need to counter. To do it anonymously, I think, wouldn't make any sense. So you see in the manifesto, as you read it, you're going to see identitarianism where this individual actually may not have necessarily, I mean, we, we should be able to have an argument. Was he purely from the cloth of theofascism? Or was he simply, he talked about removing immigrants, cleaning New Zealand out from those who have infiltrated all types of ethnicities and immigrants. So all of a sudden you saw the dysfunctional response was, oh, blaming Trump because of his Muslim ban, which wasn't even a Muslim ban. It's an Islamist ban from a few countries that had havens of terrorism or blaming. Uh, all of a sudden you saw folks online uh, uh, blaming, uh, horrifically blaming D Douglas Murray, a good friend, an intellectual, uh, I, I could not believe some of what's coming out. And now you see the dysfunctional response being the beginning of the end of free speech. The suppression of discussion is not the way to move forward. And you see tyrants like Recep Erdogan using the video footage, the GoPro footage that this, this barbarian taped as he shot up the mosques using that footage in his rallies for his campaign as he runs for president now in Turkey. And that's classic for Islamists to, to demonize the West, to demonize the land of war, which is not Muslim-majority countries that he calls the land of Islam, Dar al-Islam. So he's using it to radicalize his own. And then there you go, the Washington Post. What do they do? They give Recep Erdogan a platform, a platform to discuss his feelings as, as Muslim victims of radical Western supremacism. That's absurd. And to their credit, Yahoo News, and uh, I think it came from Washington Post, talked about how much of an uproar much in social media was, and they included a quote from me saying, how does the Washington Post legitimize platforming a radical Islamist who tortures journalists, who tortures his citizens and imprisons them who are critical of him, and also has, by the way, a media platform of billions of dollars. While we Muslims who are reformists that are trying to push back to, to, to counter militants like him and, and his global movements like the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas that he feeds, we're marginalized. We can't get, I've submitted platform. I stopped submitting op-eds to the Washington Post because their editorial staff just wouldn't respond. Now, they'll tell you they get thousands and it wasn't any personal uh, thing on me. Well, 
ignore at least ignore the Erdogans. You're publishing that crap. That's unbelievable. It is unbelievable that tyrants that are controlling the militaries and the press in their own governments are also doing it here. And then we're told that if we find platforms like Fox News and others that give us reformist voice, that somehow we're feeding into the far right. So we're supposed to just not have a platform in order to be pure, while the left gives their platforms to the tyrants of the Islamist world. That's absurd. Not to mention, I completely, uh, I completely dis- disavow any type of sense that Fox or other places are are, are far right. They're, the folks that criticize them simply want to do that by attacking the messengers rather than dealing with the ideas. So uh, I ask anybody to um, quote me, to quote others that I speak highly of on Fox or that are good friends of mine, be it their anchors or others, uh, before they start demonizing right media, as they would say. And by the way, as an aside, what's happening to Judge Janine is just absurd. Shows you the hypocrisy of free speech. Do I agree with Judge Janine's um, verbiage that night when she mentioned the hijab and said that the hijab on Ilhan Omar then is demonstration of her Sharia supremacism? I don't agree with that link. No, not at all. Do I agree that Ilhan Omar is a Sharia supremacist and is an Islamist? Absolutely. Do I agree that she's an anti-Semite and a bigot? Absolutely. I've been critical of her here many times. But now to have her suspended, and who knows if her show is going to come back, I hope and pray that it does. I might disagree with Judge Janine on a few things. I've been on her show a number of times, as has um, Kanta Ahmed and other reformers, Ezra Nomani. And we've had our voice and our platform heard. I don't believe Judge Janine has a a bigoted anti-Muslim bone in her body. Now, whoever wrote what she said, uh, uh, I think was uninformed and ignorant of the fact that many hijabis are not Islamists, are not Sharia supremacists, and actually not all Sharia supremacists even may be wearing the hijab, while most do. (laughs) But the oppression of women and the misogyny that's done under the tools and the instruments of the hijab, I agree, is a major problem. But the two connections sort of run against religious freedom and the concepts of personal pietistic wear that you might see in other faiths, such as in Orthodox Jewry or very conservative Christians, as we see with nuns. So to connect the two, I think, was an implication that she didn't mean to have. But you can disagree with her statement and demand that she have the freedom to continue to express that and ask for platforms to get a response rather than uh, absurd boycotts and and deplatforming of what I believe was one of the highest rated programs in the weekend on any cable network. So I want to end my podcast this week by talking to you about my trip to Australia. My trip to Australia was just amazing. It was just amazing. And, you know, I went with the intent that there are some differences between the United States and Australia, but also there are some significant similarities that we need to join together. This battle for freedom and liberty is not just an American one against Islamists. It's not just a British one, and it's not just an Australian one. 
There are many things we share, and we need to not reinvent the wheel domestically in each country and begin to share resources, share ideas, and look at how to build strategies and solutions. Our American Islamic Forum for Democracy is about strategy. It's about solution. And that's why I went. I told them about three eyes. Identity, ishtihad, and inspiration. Wherever I went, not only introducing myself and who I am and what we're doing, but the fact that what prevented me from being radicalized was my American identity, my desire for my parents who, who sought asylum in America, escaped Ba'athist tyranny in Syria, and felt an identification as Americans that prevented me from ever wanting to identify with global jihadism or the Islamist movement. Second, ishtihad. You can't, you need to be able to begin to have difficult conversations within Islam to marginalize the clerics, to push them back, have Lincoln-Douglas debates, have deep debates against the, the clerical class in our faith community, the theocrats, and begin to put them in their place and show them that they don't. The Islamic establishment needs pushback, needs to be put on their heels, and those who are making money out of Islam need to understand that they can't continue to control our faith community. That's the ishtihad, the Arabic term for critical interpretation of scripture in light of modern day. And last, I, inspiration. As we move forward and look for solutions, the solution, I believe, for American Muslims and for Australian Muslims, is what inspires them? What do they want to inspire in their kids, in their kids' kids? What is the legacy that they seek to have? And I believe it's about freedom. I believe that political Islam does not give you freedom. It's a majoritocracy. It's three wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner, right? That's what Franklin used to say. So if it's not majoritocracy, our inspiration is individual rights under God. Our inspiration is universal declaration of human rights. And that's the institutions that we should be building. And that's what I talked to our Australian brothers and sisters about. I had the honor of meeting with uh, folks from parliament there, uh, some individual meetings, uh, met with uh, media leaders, had a great interview with our um, uh, with uh, Andrew Bolt on the Bolt Report, and also had a great interview with Rowan Dean, uh, both of whom were from Sky News. Wrote a couple op-eds. Uh, one will appear in the Daily Telegraph uh, about why we need the Muslim mo reform movement, and another about who I am and what we're doing at The Spectator Australia. Folks, this relationship hopefully is the beginning of an engagement with the Australian community. It was unbelievable to be there as the mosque attacks happened and to see how they respond to terrorism and respond to these. Remember, the, the attacker was actually Australian. He's from Australia that went to New Zealand. So I thank Hillary Friedland, thank Vicki Jansen for their energy, for their trust and engagement. I hope it will continue. Uh, we'll continue to build relationships and build a network to protect the West, to protect those not only in the West, but across the world that want to be free, that want to reject tyranny. In my last couple minutes with you today, I want to talk to you about Twitter. What happens online when we get attacked? People always ask me, Zudi, do you get death threats? Do you get, you know, uh, are, are they ever trying to come after you in the militant uh, Salafi jihadi world? And, you know, yeah, we get, I get my share of hate speech against me and 
uh, bigotry from even Muslim organizations that use terms like uh, native informant and Uncle Tom, bigoted terms that are libelous intended to basically uh, marginalize who we are as individuals and how devout and and uh, strong a believer I am in my faith of Islam. You know, I had a debate with a guy by the name of Yasser Morsi when I was there, and I'll probably get more into that in the future with you as we as we look at some of the uh, things that he exactly said. But this is a professor, a, a political science professor from Egypt who came to Australia at a young age, and his narrative was just grotesquely, grotesquely victim-oriented, grievance-oriented. Anytime I tried to talk to him about issues that need reform, he would spend uh, uh, two minutes of uh, verbal vomit uh, of simply talking about how how uh, a lot of this is Western ideas, Western-imposed, and he's not going to take the lead from colonizers and imperialists and others. And then at the end, he'd say, well, he, there, this is not to admit that we don't have some things that need reform and women's rights, etc., but it's happening. He kept being in complete denial that it was happening. And we'll see if we can get you the uh, original transcript of that conversation. Uh, but, you know, I'm struck with, as we look at this now, I'm, one of the things I want to talk to you about was hate on the internet. The inspiration for that hate is to demonize the other is always trying to manipulate you, always trying to impose upon you rather than simply have a debate about ideas. I asked him six times in our debate in Melbourne. I said, tell me if you were just 10 Muslims and you wanted to set up your own society, your own governance, what would it be? And then he later tried to convince me that the Muslim Brotherhood in their 18-month stint in Egypt were their constitution was democratic and it, it embodied all the principles of western democracy i had to contain myself from outrage and his by the way the technique many of the islamists use in debating us when you say why more people don't speak up you will see an unbelievably rude and grotesque manner in which they debated he debated me but i want to end there is an organization called nizak N-A-I-Z-A-K dot TV. Nazak TV. They have been attacking me now for a couple years. Uh, they posted a video in which a, a scholar who I might disagree with and may have said some things that many may disagree with by the name of uh, Yerushalmi uh, at an American conference was talking about the struggle for those who understand and believe in Sharia but yet want to reform it have. And he talks in that video about how there's a body of law, and he quotes Andrew McCarthy as basically saying that, no different than the Supreme Court, if you have a whole body of law with precedents that exist, and you come and you want to change that and upend it, it's going to take quite a bit, not to mention if you're a lay intellectual like myself and not a cleric who can write new sharia, it's quite challenging. And I've responded to that here on this show before. But set aside those comments, which I don't disagree with anything that was said in the two-minute clip that Nazak keeps showing. They have on the front a slide that says there is individuals like Dr. Zudi Jasser, a Syrian-American doctor, who is an enemy of Islam because he says he wants to do X, Y, and Z about Sharia, about the Islamic State. 
and they use the words enemy of Islam repeatedly and continue to repost that over and over. They reposted it again a few days ago after the New Zealand attacks on March 19th. Why would they repost that again? And even at the time I responded, highlighted it, sent Twitter a complaint and showed that this was typical Salafi jihadist ideology that was rooted in Saudi Arabia. Now I hear they're based out of Turkey. Surprise, surprise, that move is not a surprise. But bottom line is, is the Saudi Salafi Wahhabism still hasn't changed. So I challenge Twitter. You're deplatforming people like uh, um, whoever it might be. I don't want to identify an individual, but you continue to deplatform and shadow ban conservatives. And you see people in social media, we had Jordan Peterson, Dave Rubin, Ben Shapiro, and others that are deplatformed. And yet these militants use names like enemy of Islam that's basically a death sentence to any Wahhabi that wants to invoke Salafi jihadi law like the Saudis do or ISIS or anyone else that believes in this idea that there are, if you're a Muslim who speaks against the clerics and wants a debate that you are somehow an enemy of the faith. An enemy of the faith rather than a critical thinker. Somebody who wants to love his faith or her faith but wants to do so through mutual respect of ideas and engagement. So these, Saud, these Salafi jihadi theocrats we put in their place. And again, they didn't take my, my words and put a video out. They put a video out of an Orthodox Jew who had an intelligent thought process about the issue and then prefaced that with the fact that since he cites my name, that, that I ultimately must be an enemy of Islam. And since the ideas he's talking about it's easier to show them being articulated by an Orthodox Jew as because they are deeply anti-Semitic. So at the end of the day, Twitter, where are you? Jack, where are you? These are the people that should be deplatformed when they invoke enemy of Islam about people like me who love our faith. And to those of you out there who are looking for examples of the hypocrisy the deep rank hypocrisy of Twitter and others, this is an example. I still haven't heard back from my most recent complaint to them, and I'll keep you up to date because enemy of Islam in Arabic to a Wahhabi following, I have to tell you, once they posted that, I had 10, 15, 20 within a few hours of, of militants telling me that I'm a pig, telling me that I deserve to be in the doors of hell, that I will burn on and on. As always... God bless you. Thank you for joining me on Reform This. It's great to be back, and I'll talk to you again next week on Reform This on blazetv.com podcasts. Thank you. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.